This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand on the air. Tēnā rā tātou katoa, nau mai haramai ki te reo irirangi nei, ko Geraldine Tōku Ingoa. Welcome to the Environment Awareness Show brought to you by Extinction Rebellion Ōtipoti. You can listen to our podcasts by going onto the Environment Awareness Show on the Otago Access Radio podcast page and you can send us comments and suggestions to our email address dunedin at extinctionrebellion.nz. We really appreciate your feedback. Well, I'm joined today by two fellow rebels, Jen, Tinakwe Jen. Tinakwe. And Tinakwe James. Hi. So exciting to be sitting around the table with you guys today. And we have a topic that I'm so interested in. It's We're going to be talking about what um, what has been your journey as a protester? What have you been involved in? What has worked? Perhaps what hasn't worked? And what can we glean from your experiences to create a pathway forward for mm. The immense journey that is ahead of us for our earth. Um, but I thought we'd start, as always, with some gratitude. It's a really nice place to begin. No matter what is going on, there's always something to be thankful for. Um, so I'd like to begin and say that today I am thankful for some beautiful time that I spent with my two eldest children. With my six-year-old boy, we sat playing animals this morning, and with my daughter, I sat rubbing her back while reading to her, and it was just a little bit of perfection in the day, and I am really grateful for that. Mm. Mm. Nice. Mm. Mm. Well, I'm grateful for my brassicas. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I walk past them every day, and I watch them, and I talk to them, and (laughs) I just love watching them get bigger, and yeah. Mm. Yeah, and there's a really cute little um, blackbird that lands in my backyard and it, it sits on the top of the um, compost bin and it looks at me in, in my little office where I work and then it looks around and it looks at me again and then it gets into the garden and starts <laughs> pulling everything out. <laughs> and it's just too adorable to stop it. The and then I, I go back and shove it all back in again afterwards. It's a nice approach. <laughs> Ah, well, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful on the way into town today. I stopped off at Glenfallet Gardens, um, which is a beautiful little spot halfway to McAndrew Bay on the peninsula. And um, it's a woodland garden, so there's all the trees there. A lot of them have lost their leaves this time of year, but the magnolia tree, a magnificent old magnolia just covered in blossoms, pink um blooms yeah it's just lovely Mm. and it's a sign an early sign of spring Mm. and just nice the days are getting a bit longer aren't they in winters Mm. i know it's still cold but winter's coming to an end so i know it happens every year but (laughs) (laughs) it's still amazing it's still good (laughs) okay so i'd like to begin um talking about what got you onto this journey of perhaps being a protester or beginning to rebel against a system or systems and was there a moment of inspiration or something that motivated you? What are some of your earlier experiences? Wow, I mean I can tell you about a very early experience that started me off on thinking about social justice and society. Um, 50 years ago we're talking now I'm at primary school and we have our school centenary going on um, and I learned that 100 years before children of my age were being sent down the coal mines Mm. now I live in a little village called Culpit Heath because there were coal mines there years ago and they were being operated then and this was it that would have been my fate if I'd lived then 
and mm. I just thought to myself, that can't be right. How can that be? 12 mm. hours down a pit in the dark, opening the doors so that the, lo- the trolleys can go through and stop what they called fire damp, which was the methane um, that could cause explosions. Oh um, and of course, some of them got overcome by the methane and they never came out of those coal mines. Mm. And I suppose... That was one of the first things that started me on the road to socialism. And I think of that as everyone in society being looked after, everyone's needs being met and everyone being able to contribute in the best possible way. And that does not include sending children down coal mines, Mm -hmm. which is still happening, not coal mines, but other mines in some parts of the world. That reminds me of learning, and I remember in fifth form learning about learning history and learning about the Great Depression, mm. and that's always been one that's really stuck with me. And I think for similar reasons, you know, learning about people walking the land hungry and starving, looking for work, and all the things people did to try and make everything stretch, and 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 how people managed, and and there was lots of literature, there were stories and plays about written about mm. the era that that I watched and and learnt about. I just remember being really outraged that, you know, that purely for economic reasons, like there's no difference in that the sun's still shining, the grass is still growing, every all the tangible real things in the world are still there, but purely for this and sort of made-up eco- economy, we had mm. people going hungry, and I thought, we can never let that happen again. Well, and I suppose we kind of have left, let it happen again because it's happening now in it, a way, isn't it? Yeah, it is happening. I Another thing that happened to me as a child, I was so shocked when I first realised that the reason why people are starving in the world is not because there's not enough food. Mm-hmm. It's because they haven't got enough money to mm-hmm. buy it. I mean, I don't know. I can't say anything more to add to my exactly. shock and horror <laughs> when I found that out. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So that just tells me the system has to change. Yeah, the system is not working for everyone. No. You're not good. Mm. And then how do you go from that understanding to that actually turning into I will put my body in the way? For me, that was, it took many years. Like I've had that kind of, that, that, I've had that mentality for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I've gone on marches and I've always felt like an outsider, like I've been another body at a march. I've been like, yeah. Privatising the prisons, that's a bad idea. I'll turn up. I'll be Mm -hmm. there. Mm. Uh, TPPA, that's a bad idea. I'll turn up. But then it's only been recently that I've felt, yeah, we need to take this further. We need to, you know, really, really get in the way and shut things down rather than just express our thoughts or, or, you know, be part of of that that protest. And, yeah, that's where, for me, it was in, in lockdown. And I got was sort of watching and learning about this whole Extinction Rebellion thing and then saw what, what people here were doing um, and, and just took it from there, you know, got, started getting more involved and then was invited to participate in the um, shutdown of Colgate, coal mm. mine. And, and that was, I really had to think about that. It took me a couple of weeks to think, mm. am I ready to take that step to actually do it? But it was the best thing I ever did. Ever did. Well, yeah. what were some of the things you considered in that decision-making process? Kids and um, what, what it might mean if I got, was arrested, what that yeah. might mean to me, what that might mean for my sort of financial well-being and, and you know, moving forward and then what would what would I do, what would happen to my kids if I was arrested and, you know, locked up or those, you know, those sorts of for things. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And you decided to go ahead? Yep. Participate? Yep. And what was that like? Oh, it was fantastic. It was, it was really... Um, it was really invigorating and really liberating to feel that I could actually do something, you know, tangible 
that we could actually shut that down and, and make that happen. You know, and we got we got pretty good press around that particular mm. action. I mean, the, everything was on our side for that one. I mean, they had been taking, I think it was five times the coal than that that they were meant to already, and they were applying to take more and to be sort of um, allowed, you know, to to have taken what they'd already taken. So it was very much like they were the crooks and we were the we were the good ones. The heroes. Yeah. 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 I mean, at some stage, it kind of gets to the point where you think all the polite protesting, the letter writing, the submissions, the select committee stuff, it's not working. It's not bringing about any change. And that's when you think we have to disrupt the system mm-hmm. to the extent where they do make the changes that we need to happen. I mean, yeah. our level of disruption is quite low still. You know, mm. in some places overseas, they have managed to do bigger disruptions that have actually have had an effect. Um, but still, very difficult to change the course, change the course of society. That's what we need to do, don't we, with the climate crisis? That's become really obvious now, especially with this latest report. Saying if mm. we don't do that things are just going to get worse and worse. That is already happening quicker than um, a lot of people thought. Mm. Not people in Extinction Rebellion, I must say, because these these things aren't new, you know, but, yeah. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about. What are some of the types of protests that you have been involved in? You've mentioned, like, submissions, marching down the street. What have you done over the years (laughs) <laughs> wow. Yeah, all those things. I mean, I I was one of the organisers in Dunedin for all the TPP protests. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, we took it about as far as you could while still remaining, um, well, still remaining within the system, doing legitimate protests. I mean, when we did have marches, we had, I think we had four or five thousand people Um, at the most, which sort of closed down George Street for a couple of hours, but we would let the police, the ambulance and fire service know that what we were doing and everything was very well organised. And there was a lot of the old select committee process stuff and and submissions and everything and public talks. And I mean, we couldn't have done more to prevent the signing of that treaty. Um, And sadly, although Labour various Labour politicians said that they were opposed to it and wouldn't sign it when they got into power they they actually did Mm. Um, they renamed it and because America had had dropped out and it meant that there were a few minor changes they claimed that it was not quite the same thing and they went ahead and signed it Mm. and that was very disappointing I've got to say Um, because that has tied us into some things which will make it more difficult for New Zealand to act on climate change. It means that companies can apply pressure to the New Zealand government, pressure um, of actual lawsuits, um, without the public being notified that this is taking place. The New Zealand government, you know, will tone down legislation that could help us um, that's what's known as the chilling effect on legislation and I think that's probably taking place worldwide due to the proliferation of these so-called free trade agreements um, which have been set up by the corporations the same corporations that are causing the damage that we know about um, to protect their businesses mm-hmm. so it's 
pretty sad state of affairs in that yes, sense, yeah. yeah. Mm. Mm. And so you sort of mentioned disruption works. Has there been any other in the Colgate experience that you had yeah. worked? What what else has worked that you've been a part of? It's hard to quantify, isn't it? I mean, For sure, we've yeah. we've shut down the coal train in, on a number of occasions. Extinction and Rebellion, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. That's been that's been satisfying to do. How much has it worked? I don't know. I don't know. So, what's the point in a disruption? Well, cost to actually actually physically stop the thing that we're standing against, rather than just saying we want it to stop, mm-hmm. actually step in and stop it, be the change that you want to see in the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and the point as well is to make it really clear to the government, I mean, and we've heard this from Jacinda and others, carry on with your actions, we need the people to tell mm-hmm. us that action needs to happen. Yeah. We want to see that that is what people want. Um, and we're showing them that, yes, that is what people want. Um, but I think that since Extinction Rebellion started, which is only actually the end of 2019 right. or 18. Yep. No, the end of 2018 in the UK and the beginning of 2019 here. I mean, we've seen the climate crisis go from something which people, which politicians were still publicly denying going from something, going now to where governments, including ours, have declared a climate emergency and are talking, everyone's talking about the climate crisis. Mm. They're not saying, oh, is it still real? No, they accept that it is. And I do think that activism, and including our activism and the school strike for climate activism, for example, Greta Thunberg's activism, all those things have actually put the climate crisis now in the forefront of people's minds Um, and so that is the first step towards change because that encourages people to act and encourages governments to act It's been amazing too how quickly since it's become universally understood this is a crisis this is an emergency and and something must be done that that I've noticed that there's been a a very rapid um, shift in industry to what I would call um, uh, um, delay that is, um, you know, what's the word? An, an animal that's attacking another, chasing another, a predator. predator. Predatory delay. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. So that there's this, there's this massive juggernaut of lobbyists and, um, you know, and and sort of media, uh, you know, that work across all media platforms that are that are using a tactic, I believe, of predatory delay, just like the smoking industry did, uh, just yeah. like the oil industry did. And now and the, but the tactic for doing it is to say, yes, there's a problem, and we're doing our best. Mm. We're doing our best. Look, we're, 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 we're improving everything every day. We're, we're with you guys, yep, and we're improving every day. And that is, I think, actually a, a, a real attack on, on us and, and on the people mm. because it's they know that if they can just delay it one more year, that's millions of dollars more profits mm. if they wow. can delay re-election. And they've been delaying it for many years already, mm. you know, too long. It needs to be now that we need to act. We mm. know that, don't we? Mm. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's take a wee break and we're going to listen to Scream by Coyote, which is a request from James. Thank you.
Welcome back to the to OAR and the Environment Awareness Show with Extinction Rebellion Dunedin. I'm Geraldine and I'm joined by Jen and James and we are talking about what it means to protest and what it looks like and what it has looked like for you. So James, we've just been talking about um, what is a moment in, in your life that really stands out as you were part of something that has sort of impacted you or there was a light bulb moment or... Right, yeah, there's been a few. I mean, I think being... So the first time we did our railway track action, it was a big day. It was the market day and mm-hmm. we sort of took over the whole thing. There were a whole bunch of us and having the music playing while we were while we were there shutting down the train, stopping it from moving, that was great. That for me was great because I really felt like part of the team mm. I really felt like we were all doing this together. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, there's, and there's also many ways to sort of protest, I guess. So I've just come back uh, on the weekend. I ran for the co-leadership of the Green Party. And that that was, again, for the same reason, to push harder for, for more change mm. and to push them to, you know, to, to taking a stronger stance on the on these issues, on all of these issues. It's not just the environment. I mean, there's, they're all interconnected. So I think that I think that there's things we can do all... There are so many different ways that we can approach it. It could be a micro-protest, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, just standing up to, to something, or it could be a big action as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. And what does it mm. mean to you to be a part of a group like Extinction Rebellion? Why is that important? Well, I, for me, I just feel it's really great to have the support of people around me who are, are also as concerned as I am mm-hmm. about the environment, the people the society really and how we're all going to survive and look after our world Mm. and you can feel quite alone if you've got these ideas you know out in the general community if other people aren't really thinking about it you know you tend to get a bit in despair because you think nothing's going to change but it's really it, it is really nice to be with others who share that view and to know as well that Extinction Rebellion is an international group. Mm. So even though we might be quite small here in Otipoti, um, we're all over the world. Extinction Rebellion rebels are saying, look, it's time to act right now. And, mm-hmm. you know, the voice is growing. Mm. And it's good to be part of that movement. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I remember yeah. just the relief that I found on the the first meeting that I turned up to. It was like, oh, there's a group and I'm in it and it's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Is there any comfort in knowing that you've done what you have? Oh, oh gosh, I don't know. A little, <laughs> a little. There's comfort in. There's more comfort in the people. I think for me, mm. um, and then and then when I when I think of what I've done, it thinks it reminds me how far I've come because I was a person that that knew things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's we've got something's got to be done, but. I'm just living my life, you know, mm-hmm. um, to, to becoming a person that, that's that says I'm going to do something about this. I'm not going to wait for for others, and um, it, it makes me think when I meet other people who are in that in that space, they may their words may respond in different ways. They might say, "Oh, it's all we're all going to die anyway. Who cares?" Or you know, they might they might respond in various different ways. But to think of them, to not be not think badly of them, mm-hmm. because I know I was like that, you know. So. Mm. Yeah, sorry, did that answer the question? I can't remember what it was. You need a little comfort in the people, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think there's um, 
there's so many people out there actually with really great ideas of how things could be done differently in society you know and that is really good to hear as well you know we heard earlier in one of our programs from robert down in southland who's got the the um the garden the forest garden the food forest food forest yeah and i mean and there's a whole group of people there who are tr- who are spreading those ideas and spreading mm. um the seeds of trees you know Absolutely. to growing yeah. and and things it's it's i think a lot of action is going to take place at grassroots level um I also think that there needs to be big changes that come through government, and that's where I feel sometimes less hopeful. It's not yeah. that the ideas aren't there and they're not, and they're being put about, but it's whether politicians have got the courage to follow through, you know, with things like saying, "Okay, let's set a date on ending the importation of petrol vehicles." Yep. then everyone will know it's going to happen they've mm. got to stop and then let's put plenty of money into electric buses so that we've got an alternative transport for people and let's start thinking about how we can be more flexible about people getting to work so that they're not relying on their cars i mean there's all these practical things that need to be that need to come from government and local authorities <clears throat> But because there's such strong lobbies against it Mm. um, and people don't feel like they'll be supported if um, they can't use their cars, yeah, it's not happening. It's Mm. not happening. And, in fact, vehicle use is increasing year by year. Despite the climate crisis, every year more cars are being sold and more people are taking more trips. And Mm. the statistics have shown that. It's really funny Mm. too, isn't it, how I feel like people think, we've been convinced to think this is a really, really difficult problem. Uh, Mm. But whenever I imagine the world as it would look like when when we've we've succeeded at this, it's not that different from how it is today. I feel like it's just like a just one little step over there is all we need to do. We just have to choose to make to take that step. Choose the mind shift. Yeah. Absolutely. It doesn't feel to me like that bigger a change, you know, like I think we've been tricked into thinking it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. This is it. I mean we acted we acted really well on COVID. We need to do the same level of response. Yeah. Same sense of urgency. Same sense of urgency and the same let's all working together and help each other. Mm. Yeah. Everyone was into it and we did it. A strong collective. Uh, Yeah. 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 Sure. Love it. Well, thank you for sitting around the table today, guys, and sharing parts of your story. And honestly, thank you for for what you've done. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. A whole heap of individuals. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, and you're always most welcome to come to an Extinction Rebellion meeting. Um, again, that's Dunedin at ExtinctionRebellion.co.nz if you'd like more details. Thank you for listening. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.